Ruth. Last week we read uh, chapter 1, so we're going to just recap that quickly before we start reading chapter 2. We read about a couple named Elimelech and Naomi, who because of a famine uh, moved with their two sons from Bethlehem to Moab. And we read about how Elimelech uh, died not long after uh, arriving in Moab, leaving Naomi as a widow with her two sons. We read about how those two sons married Moabite women, uh, but after living in Moab for a decade or so, the two sons died as well. And so Naomi decides to return home to Bethlehem, and she begs her two daughters-in-law to stay in Moab, to remarry, to start their lives anew uh, in their homeland where they're from. And one of the daughters-in-law does indeed do that, but Ruth decides to go home Uh, with her, go to Naomi's home with her mother-in-law, leaving Moab where she was from, where she, her family and friends were, and to build a new life in Bethlehem. Uh, Where we left off the story last week, the women had arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Uh, Ruth as a foreigner, both women as widows, and both of them desperately poor with no means of supporting themselves as they seek to rebuild their lives. That's where we're going to pick up the story. So this is Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Listen, friends, for the word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the author of Ruth. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, go, my daughter. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The world lost a a spiritual giant this past December with the passing of Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Uh, You're no doubt familiar with his work, helping lead his home country of South Africa through the end of the apartheid era and the rebuilding of a more just nation for his lifelong ministry. His many awards and uh, honors included the Nobel Peace Prize and the Albert Schweitzer uh, Prize for Humanitarianism, the Gandhi Peace Prize, and the U.S. Presidential Medal of Freedom. Well, Tutu said something that resonates with the story of Ruth, I think. He said, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. I love that. I love that sentiment. Overwhelming the world with good is part of our calling as disciples of Christ, of course. But long before Christ, the the main characters in the book of Ruth took seriously God's call for God's people to do good where they are. Last week, we spent a fair amount of time uh, talking about the Hebrew concept of hesed. That's a word that can be translated as loving kindness or faithful commitment. We talked about how uh, hesed is the trait that God models in dealing with God's people. It's also the trait that we are called to model in dealing with one another. And in the rabbinic tradition, the book of Ruth is understood to be all about this idea of hesed, faithful commitment or loving kindness. In chapter 1, we talked about how uh, Naomi shows loving kindness to her daughters-in-law by urging them, practically begging them to start their lives over in their homeland of Moab. She wants what's best for those two young women. 
We talked about how Ruth shows loving kindness to Naomi by staying with her and by choosing poverty as a widow in a foreign land rather than leaving Naomi to fend for herself. And here at the beginning of the second chapter, we're introduced to the third main character in the book of Ruth, a man named Boaz. We talked last week about how the names in this story are laden with meaning, and Boaz means something like, in him is strength. And at the very beginning of the second chapter, we're told, uh, as the reader, we get to know that he is a wealthy relative of Naomi's deceased husband. But as the second chapter begins, Ruth has not yet heard of him. In that first scene of chapter 2, Ruth uh, is talking to Naomi, and she takes the initiative to feed herself and Naomi through the practice of gleaning. That's a, a practice that we'll come back to here shortly. For now, we're going to continue the story. So this is uh, Ruth, chapter 2, verses 3 to 17. So she, Ruth, went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. They answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, to whom does this young woman belong? Who's the new girl, he asks. The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, May I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some of this bread and dip your morsel in the sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he heaped up for her some parched grain. She ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean even among the standing sheaves, and do not reproach her. You must also pull out some handfuls for her from the bundles, and leave them for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Amen. Uh, archaeologists tell us that farming has been practiced in Palestine for almost 10,000 years. Just by way of comparison, the book of Ruth uh, was written about 3,000 years ago, and so by the time of this story, uh, 
agriculture had become the foundation of Palestine's economy. In fact, uh, no human activity is depicted as frequently in the Bible as farming, beginning with the opening chapters of Genesis. The practice of agriculture was central enough to community life to have been regulated by the law of Moses. And of course, farming stories and agricultural imagery and um, uh, tales and parables figured prominently in Jesus' teaching. We talked last week about how the law of Moses identifies four categories of people uh, to whom the community of faith must be particularly attentive. Mosaic law commanded that God's faithful must care for the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the stranger. Those are the, the four categories because they were the most vulnerable members of society, often with very little means of providing for themselves. Then, as we've said, uh, Ruth actually occupies three of these categories. She's a poor widow from a foreign land, a stranger. The practice of gleaning was one of the ways that the law of Moses addressed the needs of the most vulnerable. So Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10 says, uh, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 19, we read, when you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. I know we know this intuitively, but it's all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. At the heart of our faith tradition, at the heart of our salvation history, is this concept of hesed, in dealing with God's people, God has shown us loving kindness, faithful commitment, so that the expectation is that we show that same loving kindness to one another, so much so that it's commanded in the law of Moses. It was almost a thousand years after the book of Ruth was written that Jesus told his disciples that the two great commandments are to love God and love our neighbor, love others. And when he, when he did that, he was not being innovative. <laughs> He was simply summarizing the law, summarizing the law of the tradition in which he grew up. And a specific way that God's faithful are called to show loving kindness to each other uh, is through this practice of gleaning, leaving food in the field for those less fortunate. So scene one of chapter two is between Ruth and Naomi. Scene two is between Ruth and Boaz. We, as the reader, know that Boaz is related to Ruth's deceased father-in-law, but uh, when she heads to a field to glean, she knows neither who Boaz is nor that she's gleaning in his field. She doesn't know there's any connection between them. Boaz, though, learns from his workers who Ruth is, and when he does, uh, he begins to extend his loving kindness, his, his faithful commitment. He goes beyond what is required in the law in a number of ways. Now, first, he tells her that she can stay on his land instead of moving from place to place, as would have been expected. Second, uh, he promises that she's not going to be harassed by his workers, who apparently were not always kind to the poor people who were picking up food after them. 
He tells her that she can share the workers' water and food, which is no small thing. He tells his workers to allow her to glean among the, the sheaves, not just the edges of the field, and even tells them to leave extra food for her. This is an image, uh, it's called Ruth Gleaning by Mark Chagall. Now at this point in the story, Ruth uh, only knows that Boaz is aware of the loving kindness that she's shown to Naomi. Uh, she does not yet know the family connections. As far as she knows, Boaz is being kind to her because uh, she's been kind to Naomi. And she ends the day with what's called an ephah of uh, barley. That's about two-thirds of a bushel, and that is far more than she could otherwise have expected to gather that day. Now, in Jewish tradition, the entire book of Ruth is read aloud every year at the festival of Shavuot, which is the, the spring harvest festival. It's an annual ritual. It's an annual reminder of God's expectation that we show the same loving kindness to each other that God shows to us. And, and here, there's just one other scripture that I want to mention. Uh, it's been said that in the Old Testament, perhaps the best summary of God's expectation for us, God's expectations for us, is found in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Some of you may know this. Uh, it's actually here on my stole. Um, he has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. It's a very famous verse from the Old Testament. Well, the word that's translated as kindness there is sometimes translated as mercy. You'll see it both ways. So that we're called not just to be merciful, although that's a good thing, we're actually called to love being merciful. And I bet you can guess which Hebrew word it is in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, that we trans translate as kindness or mercy. I'll give you three guesses. First two don't count. It is hesed, which is, of course, the main theme of this book. All right, let's finish the story, or the chapter anyway. This is uh, chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. She, Ruth, picked it up, the two-thirds of a bushel of barley, and came into the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over after she herself had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. I had no idea you were going to come back with two-thirds of a bushel of barley. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay close by my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is better, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, otherwise you might be bothered in another field. So she stayed close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. I think that there is uh, just tremendous wisdom in our Jewish friends reading this entire book out loud every year at one of their important festivals. 
And it seems to me that the story of Ruth can inspire us to take inventory of the ways <clears throat> that we show kindness to others. When it comes to this just foundational biblical principle of loving kindness, it's worth asking ourselves from time to time, how are we doing? It starts at home, it seems to me. Are we generous with each other? Are we helpful? Are we understanding? Do we, do we treat each other with kindness and respect? Are we, are we slow to judge and quick to forgive? And then beyond the walls of our homes, do we show lo loving kindness to those in need, specifically with regard to this story? Are we involved in service work or volunteer work of some kind? Do we support the ministries of the church? Financially, yes, and also with our time and our talents. When it comes to those in need, do we treat them with kindness and respect? Are we slow to judge and quick to forgive? Does this biblical concept of loving kindness shape the way that we show up in the world? Does it shape the way we show up on social media? <laughs> Does it shape the way that we engage with those with whom we disagree? I mean, how much kinder a place would the world be if, if everybody made this central biblical concept a focus for the way we live our lives. The third and final scene of the second chapter of uh, Ruth returns to Ruth and Naomi, and this is when Ruth learns of the family connection to Boaz. When Naomi hears about Boaz and how, she's, uh, how he has been kind to Ruth, she blesses God for the, the loving kindness, the hesed that God has shown through Boaz's generosity. And we learn that Boaz is not just their nearest kin. That's the way the translation, the New Revised Standard Version that I read, translates it. Uh, but the Hebrew word there is actually a, um, refers to a very specific position in the social system of the time. Boaz is what's known as the family uh, it's redeemer or protector. It's a very specific title. And it meant that Boaz is the one who is legally responsible for protecting the family's interest in the absence of the head of the household. Elimelech has died. Naomi could possibly lose all of the property rights of, her, of his family. And so Boaz's job in the social uh, order of the day was to uh, make sure that that land stayed in the line of ownership. We're going to come back to that part of the story next week. But these two widows through either divine providence or happy coincidence. I'm just kidding, this is the Bible. It's obviously divine providence. <laughs> have found the person who can help secure their futures. Again, that part of the story we'll come back to next week. On the podcast that Reagan and I do every week, actually that Stephanie's going to do with Reagan this week, we were talking about how uh, loving kindness, hesed, is such a beautiful concept in the Old Testament. It's one of the dominant themes of the Old Testament, and yet we don't necessarily talk about it all that much as in the Christian tradition. Uh, and I think that's probably because, especially in our Methodist tradition, there's another word that gets, I would say, most of our airtime. Uh, I mentioned that Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, um, uh, he has told you to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God and that the mercy word there is hesed. But there's one last Hebrew word I want to tell you about uh, that's also translated as mercy. So there's this other word, hen, which is the Hebrew word for grace, but it can also be translated as mercy. So hesed and hen, these, are, these two words are not precisely interchangeable, 
but they're certainly closely related so that if, if loving kindness doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, grace <laughs> is certainly something that we talk about all the time, and it's a very closely related concept in this story. For me, through my Methodist Christian lens, I read a story in Ruth that, yes, begins in tragedy, for sure, uh, but that really ends up being a story about how grace abounds. <laughs> grace abounds. The three main characters in this story conspire to manifest the loving kindness that God has shown them, the mercy, the grace that God has shown them. And when they do, Naomi and Ruth will emerge from this tragedy and loss with a new sense of security and community and family. And when they do, they will see in it all the hand of God, the gracious one who is the source of all grace and all goodness in the world. And friends, uh, it seems to me that if grace is to abound in our world, it really is up to us to make that so. You know, I'm, I talked last week a lot about how we need church friends. <laughs> um, I am grateful that my own world, my family's world is full of grace and kindness. Uh, to me, that's one of the tremendous gifts of living our lives in the church as a community of faith, surrounded by people who, who take these concepts, grace and kindness, really seriously. But you know, beyond the walls of the church, beyond the walls of our homes, uh, we see plenty of examples of anger and division and mistrust and hatred and violence and selfishness and greed there's so many examples in the world of the opposite of grace, <laughs> the opposite of loving kindness, the opposite of the way God relates to us. But thanks be to God that as God's faithful, we know better than that. <laughs> thanks be to God that we have put our faith in a Lord who commands us to show loving kindness to one another, who commands us to be gracious with one another. Thanks to, be to God that for us, grace abounds as God's faithful so that we might bear that grace to others. Thanks be to God that we live and preach a gospel that includes this simple advice from a dearly departed spiritual giant. Do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world.